Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. It's Sunday, December the 10th, fast approaching Christmas, hence why I've got my Christmas jumper on. Welcome to the Red and Blue Review. My name is Nick Philpott. I'm your host this evening, and I'm looking forward to introducing you very shortly to our panel uh, as we lick our wounds, really, over the last couple of uh, few days of Sellers Park. Two, two defeats on the trot, not looking great, okay, but we'll get to all that later on. But before we do, don't forget to, you can jump onto our website at any time, watch our back catalogue or listen to our back catalogue as a podcast on www.redandbluereview.co.uk. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and also Tom Clark Samuel's Instagram page. Please get on to our Instagram page, red underscore and underscore blue underscore review. Like, share, follow, do whatever you do on Instagram. He works tirelessly on our behalf. Anyway, gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Let's see who she go to first. Joe, you're not on the show tonight, so uh, I'll welcome you first. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, yeah, excited. Not for this, obviously. Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, in Facebook land, on YouTube land, you won't know, but tomorrow morning, I think big boy's going to jet off and bronzing his godlike body. He's, I think he, somebody described it once as a temple. You know, I said, yeah, it looks like, more like a Taj Mahal. Dodgy whaling ships, mate. That's what I'll be doing. Buddha <laughs> temple. A Buddha temple. A Buddha temple, yeah. Uh, as you're talking, Ian Noble, welcome again, mate. And thank you for sitting in for me again so brilliantly last weekend. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I've been better, Nick. You know, I think I've got a bit of man flu at the moment, actually. Um, I don't think it helped the fact I screamed and shouted at the referee for 90-plus minutes yesterday afternoon. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I felt a lot better, my friend. But thanks for asking. Good well, evening, I could, I, could, I could always send gel around with some Vicks. You can rub it on your chest for you. I don't mind. You know, well, the good that. news is you can't catch it in this, this medium, right. does it? So, you know, you're all right. You're safe. But uh, there we are. Our fab Tim Richards. Good evening, man. How you doing? Welcome back. Oh. Not too bad. Good. Good to see everyone. You okay, mate? Yeah. Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. And welcome our leader, club captain, six hundred and sixty appearances, a superstar in everybody's eyes. Welcome back, Jim. Big Jim Cannon. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. How are you all? Yeah, all good. Do you know what? It's great having you join us on the Sunday night. We love it. Okay, we love it. You can find Jim Cannon on the Red and Blue Review, folks. Whenever he's ready, whenever he wants to be on, he'll be here, okay? Going forward into the new year and long after that. Uh, ask Jim about what he thinks of referees. It's the first question that's come up with the chat. It's on your screen right now. We all know what Jim... Nigel, did we ever clip that up, Nigel? If we did, play it now. Play it now because it's, it's the most fantastic clip of all time. Right, so ladies and gentlemen, out in Facebook land and YouTube land, we are going to do something slightly different this evening. We are going to do a very... We know what happened on Wednesday night. I was there. We know what happened on yesterday. Ian and Tim, were you there? No, no, I can't. You were okay. So we all know what happened. So we are going to cover the, the games very, very briefly, okay? And then we're going to go into probably the biggest discussion point, reference the manager for probably the most of the rest of the show, okay? So we're going to do it slightly differently. But the reason Joe Holyoke has joined us this evening is because he's got something he wants to ask Big Man Jim. Over to you, mate. <laughs> so, um, I was, a couple of weeks ago, I was working with a fella and uh, he's been supporting Palace. His name's uh, Pete Smith. And um, he's been supporting Palace since the late 50s. And I was telling him about the show and who we have on and stuff. And I said, oh, we have... Jim Cannon's part of the part of the uh, part of our panel, and he was like, "Oh, right." 
he said, um, and we, we, you know, obviously singing his praises and this, that and the other. And um, he said, he said, did you know that, uh, and, and, and I'm like, this is going to be a question, basically. He said to me that, that Liverpool approached Palace for you. And being as though we've just played them, is, that, is there any truth in that? Were, were Palace once approached by Liverpool for you? Don't know. I never heard about it. Oh, no. it would have been, if it was, it would have been during Terry Venable's reign. And I don't think he let anybody know that clubs were after them because we were going quite well at the time. So I don't know. I've not, not heard that. I've not heard that. Well, Jim, Jill, t- Jill told me that story earlier in the week, and that's why he's, he just jumps on. And I did think about it afterwards, and I thought, well, part obviously part of the success of the team of the 80s and everything else, I should think that we were probably getting inquiries left, right and centre. So what was the what was the protocol in those days, Jim? Did, uh, did the managers ever talk to Do you want to go and talk to them? or did you uh, not- yeah, Well, yeah, you could talk to the managers, but the, the only way you'd know another club was after you if, if it was in the papers. And like, but certainly, Terry wouldn't. Terry wouldn't come and tell you that there's clubs after you if he was trying to build a team to say win the old first division. So uh, it's a bit different today because we didn't have agents. So did, did you did you ever get tapped up on the pitch? I know it's not the thing to do, but you hear or or when you were around international duty because because yeah. you hear all the time, you know, Stephen Gerrard and. Someone's talking about, well, no, it was Stephen Gerrard and um might have been David Beckham. But I know that Man United made a you know, through the England thing, made a made a uh, asked Stephen Gerrard whether he would consider going to Man United. But did that ever happen to you? No. But it, it did happen in the opposite way though, because when we played Chelsea. Uh, it would have been 79-80, just after we got promotion, a, a pre-season friendly. And we used to, the, the dugouts were obviously the centre, but the tunnel was centre of the pitch in them days. So he'd come out, both teams would come out. And Ray Wilkins was coming out alongside me. And as we come out, he said to me, Jim, do me a favour, get me here, will you? Because this club is shit. And we beat them 5-0. And after the game, he said, have a word we tell. The following week, he went to Manchester United. Oh, so, wow. He did yeah. end up at Palace, though, didn't he? He, he was a legend. Yeah, he was there, he yeah, yeah, yeah. We lost six yeah, months. for a lot of while, Ray. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, Matty Watson saying in the chat, Jim Cannon was too good for the bin dippers. Um, what was it? What did, can you put that message back up from... Oh, Paul Holden said, both Jell and Jim Cannon on the show, I'm feeling spoiled, is what he said. Now, what can he be alluding to, boys? What could he be alluding to? We'll come to more of that later on in the show. Anyway, Joe, are you staying or are you come? Are you, are you gonna... No, 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 no. I've got, I've got a four. I've got to be up at four o'clock. South flights. So, yeah, early, you so. And you got to hey? you, 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 you got to pack your smalls as well. Don't forget. Is it just yeah? I've got me, me main keeny and uh, and me some facts are sickly. So get your smugglers. On that, on that horrific note. Um, I bid you farewell. Have a good night, everyone. Talk to you. I'll text you uh, tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so obviously on the back of uh, two defeats at Sellers Park, it's now time to hand over to Mr Noble, the sick note, which is Mr Noble, and he's going to talk us through just the highlights and lowlights of both both matches. Over to you, mate. 
Uh, thanks, Nick, for that big build-up. Um, right, so we've got any teams up, Nigel? We, did, we haven't rehearsed this, have we? So uh, I'm not sure what's happening tonight, really. Uh, there we are. One of the, Probably the highlight of um, Wednesday night was the uh, minutes applause at the beginning for Terry Venables. Obviously, the, uh, uh, the Palace connection made it all the more poignant to remember the great man. And uh, we did that on uh, Wednesday night before the Bournemouth fixture. Um, there's the team. Um, I think there was one change from the previous outing at West Ham. And, um, you know, you go into that game with some level of expectation. And I say that guardedly, um, given what happened and the interview that uh, Roy um, gave after the game, which we'll come to a little bit later on. But we started pretty brightly, I thought. Um, Ayu had a header from an Alisi free kick. He then an effort from the edge of the box, which was tipped over. Um, Lerma shot wide. Um, Lerma was, you know, really up for playing against his old side. Um, and then Bournemouth scored on 25 minutes. It was a corner, badly defended. Um, it was flicked on at the near post and the, the guy got the rear post on Wardy's blind side. Uh, Wardy probably needs to hold his hands up for that one. I was involved again after that shot. Low and hard, the edge of the box saved, and Edwards' follow-up was blocked. Um, that took us to half-time. In the second half, we did it at the post. At least they put Lerma through. Um, didn't realise at the time we actually hit the woodwork. And then, you know, we're chasing the game, chasing the game. And all the way through, you think, it's Bournemouth. We've got to get back into this. We've got to get back into this. And we never really tested them. We never really created a great deal in that second half. Um, and then there was a long ball, a hopeful ball down their left. It was crossed into the middle. Uh, for their Kiefer Moore to head home on 91 minutes and then Sellers Park emptied. Um, Roy post-match, um, of course, uh, made the comment about fans being spoiled. It was four blanks at home uh, this season. Um, and I think, you know, I think, I, th I think I know what Roy's trying to say to an extent that there was a sense of expectation going into that Bournemouth game that we, we, we look at those kind of games, Bournemouth at home, it was the same with Forest and Fulham, really, to be fair, when we drew nil-nil with both of those earlier in the season. The kind of games you expect to get something out of. When you look at the fixtures earlier in the season, when before balls kick, you think they're the games we're probably going to get something out of. And not necessarily Liverpool, um, which was obviously three days later. So it wasn't to be. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Bournemouth uh, at the weekend um, surpassed what they did against us. By beating Man United 3-0 in their own backyard. So these are the stats from that game. We had the Lions share of the possession, 59%. Shots, 15. Three on target to their four. They had more corners. And they failed us more than we failed them. So that's the game, Nick, really. I haven't got an awful lot more to say. I don't know where I'm about, in a minute, after I've spoken to the other two boys, I'm going to make a confession in a minute, guys. Uh, something that I, I, I'm not very proud of. First of all, Tim, did you go on Wednesday night? No. Did you see the no, game? I yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, what I haven't done is I haven't looked back at, at what he has just alluded to, is how the ground emptied on when the second goal went in. How how severe was that? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember. I said to Wendy, I can't remember the last time I heard a Sellers Park crowd react like that. And I can't remember the last time I've seen it empty, even the 4-0 against Fulham last year. I, I don't remember seeing the ground empty like that. I, I can never remember seeing Celeste being from fairly full to a ghost town, basically. Really? There were a lot of empty seats. There were a lot of empty seats anyway, because it was yeah. Wednesday night. It was on the box. 
Um, Train strike. It's freezing cold. <laughs> Jim, I presume you worked both both games, did you? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Your give me your over your thoughts just on the Wednesday night performance first. Um, uh, well, I mean, we all know it was it was poor. Uh, I wasn't sure about Roy's. I, I don't mind his comment about the the uh, fans. I think that's probably he just worded it the wrong way how he probably wanted to to get it over. But we we just didn't perform. Uh, but his comment about I thought we worked hard in the second half. Well, I see their players closing down at 100 mile an hour to block our fullbacks trying to get the ball up the line and I see our guys jogging there and stopping and let them hit nice balls over the top for them to run onto. So it was it was a poor performance. Uh, I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, have we gone out there thinking that it's Bournemouth, we'll get the three points? Yeah. And Terry Venables was always adamant that football isn't tap water. You can't turn it on and off. It's, it's like... If you start bad, it's very hard to pick yourself up and get going again. And I, I didn't like the way we played. I mean, quickly, just talking about uh, the last game, we never tried once to play out of the back. We pushed forward, we got the ball forward. Well, we should be doing that against teams like Bournemouth, but we end up passing the ball, 20 passes across the back, knocking into midfield. We didn't have a good midfield the other night. You know, part Richards... He's all right, sort of defensive, but he's not going to set anything up. Lerma's on his own a little bit. Uh, so we don't get any far and it comes back and we're defending again. So it was it was very poor. And one of the strengths we've had so far is our defending. Yeah, I'm coming to that, Jim. I want to talk about Our defending has been very poor. Jim, OK, Ian, I know you want to jump in, but can I just... I, I want to, Jim, I want to ask you... Two questions in one. First of all, forgive me, but this is your first time you've been on the show since the passing of uh, Terry. Okay. Any words about that? And secondly, my second question, unrelated, is what the fuck has happened to our defence recently? I mean, our strength has been, or Roy's Roy's major tactic is his defence. Okay. It always has been. He's always set up to defend. We've got, we've had a strong back four, even though we know Joel's in his latter years now. Our two central defenders. Jim, from your perspective, please, a word on Terry and a word on our defence, please. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd, know, I'd known for quite a while that Terry wasn't well. Uh, it, I mean, the guy was a genius. You know, I, I know a lot of... I saw a few comments from on Facebook from Palace fans. Uh, yeah, rest in peace, but I didn't like him. But I didn't like him because... He come back with a guy that tried to buy the club that didn't know nothing about running a football club. But, I mean, if you're going to judge Terry Venables, you've got to judge him from 1976 to 1980, 81, because all he done was good work. He created a fabulous team. Uh, the fans, surely at that time, loved supporting Crystal Palace. Uh, I mean, the, the team of the 80s was over, obviously overhyped, but... You know, he only went because the chairman at the time had started interviewing people. And I spoke to um, Vince Allaire yesterday, and he said that the we played Coventry away. You remember when Clive Allen scored that goal and the referee mm -hmm. disallowed it? Yeah. He, said, he, he, he seemed to think from that day we went downhill. 
I, I mean, I, I remember the goal, but and obviously I remember we didn't play that well after that. But he seemed he seemed to think that, that effect, because it was quite a young team, that really affected us. Again, I'm talking about referees that uh, are just a waste of time. And uh, but Terry was a genius. I mean, his coaching, his man management. He was a funny guy. You could have a laugh with him. You could have a drink with him. He wrote books. He wrote stories. He was on TV singing like the guy was a genius and every time he was he was uh, coaching the under 21s i think with dave sexton and every time he went they went uh vince Lea and billy gilbert would go away they come back and he said glenn hoddle wants to come and play for us purely because of how yeah. he was and you've only got to listen to the 96 european championship uh players talking about him uh how good he was and how and he was all for players you know he never went against players you know that sort of the um dentist chair episode you know he never he stood up for his players even though they probably were a bit out of order but he, he was just a fabulous guy fabulous guy and like unbelievably good coach best coach england's ever had english coach england ever had by a country mile thank you mate good right words we're going to come back to the defense question in a second tim you wanted to jump in then ian yeah, yeah. I, 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 I watched uh, yesterday. I watched the big match revisited, uh, and it was Palace at home to uh, who was it? I can't remember who it was now. Ipswich, and it was the week after. It was that week after that goal that wasn't the goal. And Jim, how you missed that header, I don't know, but I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> <off that. laughs> the reason I mention it is they interviewed Venables afterwards, and it's the first time I've seen it. And it kind of reflects what Jim was just saying. You know, like we weren't playing well. And the interview said, are you going to tell the team that? He said, no, I'm going to give the team 48 hours. They know what happened. They played football. They know. Give them time. And you could see his brain was thinking about the right way of doing it, like mm -hmm. a modern manager would do back in those years. So, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. It kind of echoes what Jim was just saying, really. Yeah. No, oh, I, you know, I was just really interested to hear what Jim's saying about him. You worked with him, you know, you knew him well, and um, I think you know your view is is a view that uh, you know we all need to listen to and and and, and take on board. Um, I think that Euro '96 tournament was was very special. Um, you know, I knew Gareth Southgate quite well at the time. He was a uh, I, I don't know if I've ever said this on the show, but I was Gareth's bank manager during Euro 96. He phoned me two days after that um, to sort out a few bits and pieces. And uh, I didn't know what to say to him at first, but bad luck. Uh, the rumour was, and I don't think I ever corroborated this with Gareth, that he had his first five penalty takers sorted, but he didn't have six, seven, eight and nine. And it was rather a question of who's up for it. And if you remember, Paul Lintz was looking away. He wasn't interested. And Gareth being Gareth and, you know, OK, boss, I'll have one if you want me to have one. And he'd only ever taken one other penalty in his life. That was Ipswich Town, and he missed that one as well uh, for Crystal Palace. So it was, um, you know, it was what the tournament hinged on. But that aside, um, it was a great tournament. And Terry Venables, as you say, Jim, fantastic football manager, fantastic tactician ahead of his time, as Tim said. Forgive me, Jim. I should have come to you about that at the top of the show. I do, I do apologise. But thank you for your great words. Um, big man, so what, what's happened to our defence? Explain to me how it can have changed in four or five games. It can't be just 
unlucky, bad performances. Something radical has changed. What is it, mate? Well, it's probably a few factors. I mean, we haven't got the team that you would want to put out there. So we we've got we lose, we've lost a few players, uh, and then then players are beneficial to helping the back four defend. And at the moment, uh, the teams seem to have a lot more possession than us, which puts puts us under a little bit more pressure. But you know, they like the goal um, against Bournemouth that Ward Day. Uh, there was a flick on. Now you shouldn't lose. The ball's dropped into near post. I could see there was two players, one defending, one attacking, and and the the attacker was taking the defender out, which then left a defender against an attacker, but the attacker's in front of him. So he's never, ever going to get there. So you really, we should have been another defender in front of that first attacker, so that the guy behind could have just stayed and he could have gone and attacked that ball. But because there's nobody there, that that attacker's cleared that space that attack, his other mate just come in and flick it on and Wardy got caught Wardy was marking him as it came in you could see him marking him and then he just ball watched yeah. and, they, and yeah. he's just gone behind him and it's just a poor defending and we've done that a few times lately um, they, they, uh, they, the looting game where Anderson sort of just let it go you know whether the keeper shouted we still don't know I can't imagine the keeper shouted for that but so it's it's not been great, and it's like a bit of confidence, you know, when you're losing games, every everything sort of becomes a little bit harder. All little minute things seem a little bit bigger, and like we were on. I mean, if we'd have got a result yesterday, we'd forgotten all about the defending. Yep. Yeah, someone's people are making comments in the chat about the fact that we're missing Czech Dukure. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a really valid point. Um, go back to the Everton home game. He didn't play in that. We lost that one. We lost some soft goals in that game as well. And I think we do miss Dukure more than we realise. Um, you know, he does protect that back four. He breaks the play up a lot. And um, it means that there are less opportunities for the opposition to put balls into the box, less opportunity for mistakes to, to be made and, and goals to be conceded. So um, we, we're missing him big time. And I think I think that's fun. To, if I had to put my finger on one thing as to why we're not defending as well, I'd simply say check the Kure. Um Very interesting. Very interesting. And we're going to come on to the injury crisis shortly. Uh, Jim, you mentioned a minute ago, uh, you were talking about Joel Ward. Uh, I think it's very poignant at this point that we congratulate him. Yes, we know he's in the autumn of his career. We know that he's... Um, this could well be his last season. Was it 350 games for the club, uh, Palace Club? Um, it's 10 years and 350 games. The one thing I I am a bit confused about with Joel is that there's been absolutely no mention of testimonial. No. Is a testimonial still a thing, Jim? Um, yeah, I suppose they are. But in this day and age, they just give it away to some charity. So... But whether they can be bothered, I don't know. I'd, I'd imagine somebody like Joel Ward would sort of want to do something like that, give half a million away to charity or something, it'd be quite nice. But uh, the modern-day player don't need it, does he? Yeah. yeah, I know. yeah. Back, in, back in your day, Jim, it was the, it was to reward the player, wasn't it? For, for yeah, being a yeah it was. Yeah. The money weren't great. So, I mean, if you get an extra 
10, 20 grand sort of end of the year for spending nine months going to different do's. Uh, it was quite nice, but I mean, they get that in a week now, so it doesn't, doesn't really matter. But a lot of them still do it, but purely for, I don't suppose, I mean, a lot of the foreign players, I don't suppose they ever had testimonials. I don't know. Maybe in different countries, they don't bother about it. But well, the last one I remember was Julian Brownies, of course. It was yeah, at the end I was of the season. Same thing. Yeah. Um, That's right, yeah. that night. I didn't pay it. Yeah. But, you know, there we go. <laughs> Interesting. Anybody know anything out of Facebook land? Have you, anybody heard anything about a testimonial from Joel? Because I'd be quite interested. It'd be uh, something I, I think we all all. I think what we're going to do is we're going to move on to yesterday's performance, Ian. And I think we've got quite. I mean, I know we've touched on the Roy subject, but we're going to do that in great detail in a minute. Uh, so cover off the Liverpool game if you'd be so kind. Yeah. Okay. So um, there's the lineup um, for the Liverpool game. Um, so yeah, changes in that. Remind me of the changes. I, I'm prepared. This as well as I ought to have done. Um, there was a change. Yeah, Elise. Elise. That's right. Elise drops out. Yeah, um, and we were warned that he might not start. I think Roy did, said, didn't he? You know, he's been advised by the the, the sports science people that you know he, he he's been out for a long time and the games have coming too thick and fast. So Elise didn't start. Um, this game, but he was on the bench, of course. So, you know, it was um early kickoff. Uh, we played Wednesday night and we have to play Saturday lunchtime. Um, it was raining, then the sun came out. So, stand in the rain, stand in the sun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought we started all right. We started quite brightly, really. Ayo and Lerma uh, combined. Um, direct shot saved by the keeper. Uh, very good save off the post um, from Lerma. Um, Hughes wins the ball, plays it into Edward, and is fouled by that, Virgil Van Dijk, and the referee awards a penalty. And we all think this is good, uh, but of course, what he hasn't appreciated is that he's he hasn't spotted this foul in the build-up. So Hughes he fouls the Liverpool player. Um, VAR have said, yeah, it is a penalty, but you need to look at this one beforehand in the build-up. Now he goes over to the monitor. Yeah, whatever Liverpool want. Um, he goes over to the monitor and apparently he ran it back, so I'm told, 31 times and it took about three and a half minutes for them to decide that that wasn't a penalty because of that foul. Now, my point here is that I thought VAR was about overturning clear and obvious errors. So the referee has allowed play to play on. He's, he's blown up for all kinds of other innocuous things during the game. But he lets this one go. There's a foul, and it gives a penalty. But because VAR said, look at it, and he looks at it 30 odd times, he then chalks out his decision and, and withdraws the yellow card. Now, I don't get that at all. Surely it's not a clear and obvious error. Therefore, the penalty should stand. That's my red and blue tinted specs view on it. Um, you know, probably according to the letter of the law, it's the right thing. And he should have blown up in the first place for a foul, but he didn't. He let the game play on. That's because he's because because he's an idiot. Um, and and it, you're right, it was a foul. Um, and it was, and he should have, he should have spotted it to start with. The bloke, the bloke is a buffoon. Yeah, and and the irony is that of course in the second half when we did get the penalty awarded, he didn't give it. You know, he he, he let play on. Now it was a foul. He caught Mateta. It, the ball came in from the left hand side. 
Mateta was cool. And I, you know, a few people screamed at the time. I think the Homesdale roared at the time, I think, from memory. Yeah. And the, the play carried on for about two minutes, something like that, before he gets someone in his ear and says, you need to go have a look at this. But how long did he look at that one for? Ten seconds? One. One second. So yeah. he knew he'd made a rookie. He made a, he'd made a mistake. Therefore, he gives the penalty kick. So it's clear and obvious. Okay, yeah. I've got some. I've got something on that subject. At the time it was actually three and a half minutes between the incident and when he got the message in his lug hole. Okay, go back. Did anybody else notice? Now you would have only noticed this if you were listening to what I'm about to tell you. You'd have only noticed this if you were listening to the BBC Radio London commentary on it. Okay, because if you go back and watch the whole game live with the clock in your top left hand corner, what what minute was that on, Ian? Um, the 57th minute was when the goal Thank was scored. So on 57 minute, uh, he's, he gets the message. He goes over to the clock. Okay, uh, he goes over to the screen, um, <laughs> gives the penalty, and they then stop the clock and rewind it. So those three and a half minutes that you alluded to, okay, didn't actually exist. We're they joking. went away. No, all that all that football they played in between it before he got that message in his lug hole. They rewound the clock. Back. Now, whether they added that on at the end of the game, I don't know. But go back and watch the full highlights again and watch you watch the clock disappear and go come back on at the point where the, the uh, penalty it's an absolute car crash. Okay. And Andy Medley, or whatever his bleeding name is, is as responsible for it as anybody else. Carry on in. Yeah. You know, I think it's just, it was a very, very poor refereeing display. We'll talk about the yellow cards in a minute. But look, he's made two. Errors there, a judgment. A, he's missed a, a vital foul in the build-up to the penalty that he did give. And B, he's missed a penalty that he should have given. That he then went back and awarded later. So as Roy said in his post-match press, um, not I think it was his uh, interview with TNT Sport, you know, he said, who's refereeing this game? Is it the man on the pitch or is it the bloke upstairs? And it's really the bloke upstairs, isn't it? It's, it's crazy. You know, I mean, none of us like it. It's, it's bonkers. Um, there was some confusion about who was going to take the penalty. Of course, um, Eze's not playing. Edouard was off the pitch by then. Uh, Mateta grabs the ball straight away. All right, he was fouled, but he wanted it. He clearly wanted it. And there is an element of, if you're not sure who's going to take the penalty, it's the player that's got the most confidence, that wants to grab the ball, and um, will we'll take the kick and hopefully score a goal. But Ray Lewington, did you spot Ray Lewington was screaming at Jordan Ayew for him to take it? And I got the message and he went over to Mateta saying, um, they want me to take it. Mateta wasn't having any of it. He just kept the ball in his hand. And in the end, Wardy got involved and told Ayu to back off. But there was, um, you know, again, you know, we're not exactly um, got ourselves organised for that situation, which, again, I suppose disappointed me a little bit. Because when you've got 11 players on the pitch, doesn't matter who's on the pitch, you should know who's going to take the penalty. You shouldn't have to then decide between you. Am I right or wrong, Jim? What do you think about that? Oh, yeah. Normally, you've got your penalty taker and and normally somebody else that would want to take it after that. But obviously, if Edward takes him and he's off the park. But I, I seem to remember, was it earlier in the season when Edward was, was or, or Teta was fighting to get the ball for a penalty and that whoever it was, I can't remember who it was, but sort of shooed like- him away. So... I mean, if he's a confident guy and he wants to take it, but yeah, you think it'd be a, bit, a little bit more organised. So, yeah. So look, we're one nil up, and um, we think this is pretty good. Um, and then come the yellow cards. So, 
Jordan Ayers. Let's talk about his two yellow cards. The first one, um, Liverpool get a free kick. And he, he sort of goes to stand in the way to stop him taking it quickly. All right. Now, apparently that is now bookable offence. But when Virgil van Dijk took the kick, he tried to jump out of the way. So he didn't try and block it. He just tried to jump out of the way. So that was a yellow card. And I just think that's incredibly harsh for a yellow card in, in itself anyway. But I suppose if they're the rules. But then 15 minutes later, he's he just catches the Liverpool player. Who's, who's You know, there he is. He just catches him. And and as Roy has said as well, again, in his post-match stuff, you know, maybe it's a foul, OK? But why is it a yellow? You know, he's on a yellow already. What happened to referees saying to players, look, mate, you're on a yellow card. Be a bit careful. You do that again and you're probably off. You know, there's no warning there at all. Madley was almost smirking as he, as he brandished a red card. I don't know if we've got a picture of that one, Nigel, but there is a picture of it. And someone's put a Liverpool badge on his top, haven't they? You know, superimposed it. But, you know, he was almost delighted. He could not wait to get those two cards out of his pocket and send a Palace player off. And apparently he's got some some history in sending off Crystal Palace players, Andy Madley. Um, and the other thing is that um, apparently he's refereed Liverpool a dozen times and they've never, ever lost when he's refereed them. Now, I know they're a good side, so they're going to win most of the games, but... That's a bizarre stat in itself. So he's trying to make it as difficult as possible for Crystal Palace to compete on a level playing field with Liverpool, one of the best sides in the country. So it, nobody, I think the whole crowd was really surprised. There was almost a gasp of, really, is this happening? Um, nobody expected it. And then the crowd, as one, stood to their feet and applauded IU off and sang his name and everything else. So um, this here is in the last minute of uh, added time in the hundredth minute when uh, Elise's put the ball into the box and Joachim Anderson has eventually connected with it. He's, he's shut this challenge off and Allison gets down smartly to his right hand side and saves it, um, which would have made it to all. Um, you know, I don't need to talk about the Liverpool goals. You've seen them. There was an element of just a little bit, a loss of concentration for the, for the equaliser that Salah dispatched again, offer, deflection um you know it wasn't straightforward so Johnson had no chance uh and then Sam Johnson went off of course with his injury which you know is very unusual see a keeper taken off at Crystal Palace um Remy Matthews comes on to make his debut um I thought he did all right actually he's, he's he caught a few um and and dealt well with a couple of the balls um but he was it was he was a long way he was uh clutching thin air for the shot it was a good effort from the edge of the box that that made it 2-1 just on 91 minutes. And as I said, we then huffed and puffed a bit. Um, they did get the ball in the back of the net again, but it was offside. And then there was that last gasp chance that I've already alluded to. So we end up losing the game 2-1. And, you know, it was, it was a funny feeling, really, because most of us just felt hard done by it. I felt that we should have got something out of it, but we weren't at all disappointed in the way that we were on Wednesday night. We were, we were you know, all very pleased with the way the team had played. Um, Liverpool inevitably had most of the possession, uh, more shots, but not more shots on target. So they didn't really trouble us much. And there's the foul count, 17 fouls each. So you tell me how we can have so many bookings. There they are. Ward, IU, twice. Lerma, Richards, Anderson and Amada, both in stoppage time. And then two Liverpool uh, bookings in stoppage time. How does that actually work? 
You know, I, I just don't get it. Why? Ian, why just so you know, Ian, just so you know, uh, Rob Don Donovan, and sorry, uh, forgive me, somebody else in the chat uh, has, has actually told us this. Crystal Palace will be issued with a £25,000 fine yep. having received yep. uh, nine cards against Liverpool. Uh, with such a financial penalty, uh, with such a financial penalty automatic, there is no ch chance to answer, oh, no charge to answer, and there will be no statement from the FA, apparently. Yeah, no uh, right of reply. It's 25 grand. It's as simple as that. And it's uh, 25 grand, you know, um, in Premier League terms, not a huge amount, but it's still a significant sum of money. And that's because the number of bookings in a single game. But um, I, I think Madley was out of order. I mean, Roy summed it up when he was interviewed afterwards. I thought, you know, as badly as his interview was after the Bournemouth game, you know, what he said, what he said after the Liverpool game was spot on. You know, we were all gutted, all disappointed. Uh, Madley had a bit of a mare, you know, so it was uh, it was just one of those days at the office. Um, and I'm concerned about games like this, you know, Liverpool at home, it's not really going to define our season, but the fact that it comes on the back of other yeah. games when we haven't picked up the points we, we maybe have, were expecting means that it's a hard one to take. We're coming back onto that. Um, it's just a shame that we haven't got an ex-professional football player that's made 660 appearances with a club joining us on the show that could actually tell us honestly what he thinks about referees. Yeah, so, yeah. real shame. Advocate, who should be sitting in the oh, you in your mind? Well, there should have a couple of players that have played three, or 400 games in the Premiership. Definitely. I've already said but that. They would have to be retired, guys, obviously. But, yeah. I mean, uh, the referees, from the day I first started playing, I thought they were wankers. Nothing's, <laughs> nothing's, nothing's ever changed my mind. So yeah. what do you advocate? Who should be sitting in the VAR room in your mind? Well, they should have a couple of players. There you go. There you go. Well said. And, mate, think about when you said that. What, how long ago was that? 18 months ago? And no truer word was ever said. Look at yesterday. Absolute car crash. Those words were bang on and they still apply. Yeah, I, th I think I think referees are now becoming cowards because I think Roy said it. It's VAR is refereeing games. Ian mentioned about, like, I didn't think that sort of thing VAR would get involved in. I mean, that referee uh, yesterday... Let about half a dozen things that we all felt was fouls, you know, real pushes on the back, tackles, and then he let some go. Now, I watched that back, the replay, and that referee saw that foul outside the box when Hughes tackled the guy. In his mind, he said, I'm happy with that. So why on earth, just because later on, somebody's brought somebody down, why would they change that? And so VAR's getting involved in all aspects of the game. And I think it's making the referees, the referees are bad enough. Now they're becoming cowards because they just, one of these days the referee will turn around and say, no, I'm not interested. That's the decision I gave. That's going to stain that decision. But are they frightened? I don't know. But the, the standard of refereeing is very poor because the inconsistency yesterday of people getting pushed and people getting pulled. And I mean, like Van Dyke hit him. Who was he passing to when he tried to take that free kick? He just aimed the ball at Ayu, who was what, three yards away. 
How many times in a game, if you looked at all the Premier League games, how many times you see somebody standing in front of a ball and the referee would just say, go back? Didn't bring out a yellow card, but that guy did. And the second one was uh, it's absolutely disgraceful. It's almost to a point now where every every foul is a yellow card. And I don't yeah. get that. Yeah. Yeah. The extent of fouls yeah. that are yellow cards are just fouls. Ladies and gentlemen, Um, let me just come in here, Nick, if I may. Um, Paul Bristow says, Darren England uh, did what Jim has just said. He stuck by his original on-field decision when we played Villa at Villa Park. Um, The problem with that one, Paul, is that Darren England had to look at it about 61 times from, you know, four or five different angles to eventually decide that it was a foul when the whole end of baying for a penalty in stoppage time. Um, when, you know, in real time and most angles, that tackle by Chris Richards on the Villa player was was just a very good tackle in the box. Now, we did it at the time. Um, but now it's interesting about that tackle and about that VAR decision that without it, if it had gone the other way, Aston Villa wouldn't have beaten us that day. And everyone's waxing lyrical about their unbeaten home or their 100% home record. They've just beaten City and Arsenal. We've come the closest to upsetting that in the last dozen games. Okay, right, boys, we're going to draw a line under those two games. Uh, Before I move on, Dan Simmons, I know you're watching out there. Phone me tomorrow, mate. I've got some news for you. Um, Now, Jim, you get... You get a freebie here for the next two minutes, okay? Because you actually weren't involved in the conversation that I'm about to have, okay? Now, this conversation took place in our preview, our season preview show, gentlemen. Uh, Tim and Ian, I'm looking at you in particular, along with others, okay? And we didn't. We made a prediction. We all made our, where do we think we will end? At, uh, finish up at the end of the season predictions? Gentlemen, in case you can't remember... I have the list in front of me, okay? Um, now, on the day, uh, your host, Mr. Philpott, uh, said that he thought we would end up 17th in the league. I got scoffed at. I got laughed at. I got dog's abuse from you lot. And just so, Ian, can you remember what you actually said for your season-ending prediction where we would end up on the league? I think I probably said something like... Ninth or tenth? Okay, correct. You said ninth. Gel said eighth. Fergus said eighth. Uh, Mr. Richard, what did you say? Did I say twelfth? You said thirteenth. Okay. Um, Mukta out in Facebook land said fourteenth. Uh, Ian Lyons said twelfth. Nige producer Nige said eleventh. Okay. Uh, who else? Uh, Paul Grubber said seventh. Uh, Bruce Muirhead said seventh. Prim said sixth. John Knox said five, fifth. Listen, so, I only said ninth. I only said ninth, right? Because everyone else had said 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th. So I was just trying to be different, that's all. Um, am, I allowed to, am I allowed to change my mind now? I see backtrack coming on here, boys. I said, now, hold, hold that thought, Ian. Hold that thought just for a minute. So we are currently sitting 15th in the league with the run of games coming up. Man City, Brighton, Chelsea and Brentford before the year ends. Okay. I'm now giving you, uh, there you go. Um, uh, These are the upcoming fixtures. I'm now giving all three of you, and Mr. Cannon, you're involved now. You can get involved in this from here on in. A chance to reset your 
predictions for the rest of the season. Bear in mind our injury crisis, which includes Czech Decore, Jez Raksaki, Rob Holding, Dean Henderson, who, by the way, looks as though he could be fit to return uh, to the game. Ebbs, Ayu, Tyree Mitchell, Sam Johnson, Odson Edward and Jefferson Lerma. So there is most of our squad out injured there. This is your opportunity, boys, to reset your predictions, please, for the end of the season. Mr Noble, I'm coming to you first. You said ninth. Where do you believe that we will finish now? Well, I, th I will change my mind. Um, I'll reduce it slightly. But I don't think it'll be drastic. I don't think it'll be down the bottom. Uh, I think we'll be Crystal Palace 12th. There you go. You do realise that these are being recorded. Okay. Tim Richards, with that in mind um, and the pessimism around the club at the moment, likelihood of a manager change very shortly uh, and that list of injuries. Your, your prediction, please. 17 and a half. Um, 16th. Okay. Be fair. Ladies and gentlemen, in Facebook land and on Twitter, please, and on uh, YouTube, can you please, I can see a couple of you already starting to do it. John Kenny saying 14th. Uh, Richard Thomas is saying 12th. Where do you think we're going to end up? Dean saying 17th. John Knox now. John Knox is on there. He's changed his tune. He said 5th to start. He's now saying 13th. Dan Simmons is saying uh, 15th. Jim Cannon, with your, your experience, all your years of experience, you've seen us through thick and thin, good, bad and ugly. Uh, and there's been plenty of ugly. Where do you predict that we will finish at the end of the season? Above the bottom three. So, what are you saying? Seven, I'm seven, not seven. saying anything. I thought if we finish second, then I've been right. We're above <laughs> the bottom three. <laughs> oh, to where split is fucking hell. <laughs> Go, give me a number. Um, I was going to say 16th, 14th. 14th? Do you yeah. know what? That's pretty damn optimistic, if I'm honest with you. Because oh, like no, said, uh, you've all picked numbers, so I don't want to be the same as everybody else. Okay, well, I don't forget, I initially went with 17th at the beginning of the season. Um, I'm actually going to go 17th. I'm going to stay with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick. Uh, my worry, my worry is that bit. Okay, the worry is what's underneath 17th. And it's not out of the question. Okay, because the reason I'm talking about this now is because we were all full of optimism when Roy was reappointed and given a, this one-year uh, contract. Um, Peter Kay, the comedian Peter Kay, I saw one of his concerts one day, and he was he was talking about uh, every wedding, there's always somebody, uh, there's always a relative out there. We've all got a relative. They'll probably be around your Christmas table. He described him as... Uncle Nobed. Uncle Nobed. He's the geezer that's going to say something completely out of kilter to everybody else. He's incorrect, politically incorrect. He can't say right for saying wrong. We've got that in our current manager, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I'm bringing the subject up. Now, how many times is he going to be excused 
having to be corrected by the club and coming back and apologising. So we were talking about it. We touched on it earlier on, but we're going to do it in a little bit more detail now. Okay, so these are his comments when he brought on the three youngsters, okay? Uh, We became much weaker and I made the substitutions. Maybe the young substitutions, who we like to think we can believe in and help us to, to a different level, didn't show that. So he owned his gob without thinking on that. He's like a dodgy old man, okay? He had he was forced by the club to come back on the next press conference and apologise. This week, it happened again, okay? And, and you've all seen those comments. This is after the Bournemouth defeat, okay? And the Bournemouth defeat was embarrassing and it was with frustration. Um, and he came out and said that the Palace uh, faithful have been spoiled. Spoiled with the style of football that he's playing. Are you having a laugh? The style of football he was actually dismissed for 18 months ago. Are you having a laugh? Boys, I've talked too much. I want you two, you three, to have a chat about it and tell me why I'm wrong. Is he Uncle Nobbed? Ian. I think you've been terribly unkind to our manager by comparing him with Uncle Nobbed. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm one that backs Roy more than others may be. Um, I think clearly he he says things in the heat of the moment in these post-match interviews that he later regrets. It's It's been two or three times now where he's said things that, you know, everyone's jumped on. Um, clearly, um, you know, we haven't been spoilt per se um, as supporters of Crystal Palace. But I think what he was alluding to there with the Bournemouth game was that, as I said earlier, there was an expectation. You know, we, we thought we were going to win it, and we didn't. Um, and no matter how much we huffed and puffed, and, um, you know, clearly the players put in some effort. I'm not saying they didn't put in any, any effort, but, it got, you know, to the to the appearance of, of the people watching the game, it looked as if, you know, we, we weren't trying maybe as hard as some of the Bournemouth players were, and, and therefore we lost the game. But I, I can see where he's trying to come from. And then, you know, he realises he's made a faux pas, so he says, I'm terribly sorry. Now, I don't believe the club are saying to him on his back saying, you must apologise. I think that apology has come of his own volition. That's my view. Um, some people might disagree with me. But, you know, he's he's clearly said something that, that is, is not right. And he, and he's apologised for it. We've all made mistakes. Yeah, well, what we've got to remember, you're saying a doddery old man. I think that's unkind. But he is 76 years of age. You know, we'll slow down a bit. Um, Jim, you slow down a bit, don't you? I slow down a bit. Tim, you certainly do. Um, you know, we slow down a bit in life. So I just think that Roy... I never sped up. I don't know why he does it sometimes. You know, he must question himself, mustn't he? And, you know, you saw in the, the interview with TNT Sport yesterday after the game, you know, he he, he can't wait to get out of there now probably, can he? But he's, he's stuck with a job, so he's got to carry on for a bit longer. But someone said in the chat, I think he'll walk. I think it'll be a mutual thing. Maybe not in the next couple of weeks, but maybe in early in the new year or something, if it carries on going pear-shaped, that um, it'll say, oh, enough is enough. I'd rather be on a beach somewhere than, than managing a football club. Tim? Yeah, I, I think this goes a lot deeper than just Roy's comments. Um, if we go back a few years, why did we end up with Patrick Vieira's fifth or sixth choice manager? When they got rid of him, they got Roy in for the rest of the season. They had months to find a new manager. Nobody wanted the job. Why is that? Is it because all the managers out there can see that you have owners that either choose not to or don't have the funds to invest in the squad that paper thin anyway? 
And we've all known Roy as being a real diplomat, you know, watches what he says. But there's been several times this year where he has made comments and called out the board and quit and questioned the lack of support he's had and the lack of investment. So I think a lot of his comments he's made were, weren't right. But I can understand his frustration uh, along with what he said afterwards. So this goes a lot deeper, I think, than just a manager who maybe should retire. Jim, he is a seasoned professional manager. He's done thousands of pre- and post-match interviews. Is it deliberate, these mistakes? Uh, no, I think probably. Ian's right. I think he's just he's poor in the wrong way. You know, he, you've been spoiled. I think what he meant is exactly what Ian said. Because we've done really well, especially last season when he came in, and the expectations this year, and we've seen it when we've said, right, there's a group of games, what are we going to do? Are we going to beat them? We're going to beat them, we're going to beat them. Because we expect our team playing to the full strength would beat the likes of Bournemouth and Fulham and Everton and Luton. But the Premier League's a different kettle of fish these days because you've only got to watch Luton play and Man City just about scraping a win against them. There's no easy game anymore. Also, I think Roy must look at his bench behind him and think, what, what do I do? Because there's nobody there that he can bring on that's going to make us better. Apart from Elise coming on yesterday, he's not got anybody that's going to bring, he's going to bring on and make the team that's out there better than what he started with. Too many injuries. We, we've got a team now where we've got lots of problems because of injuries. We can only put our best... If we put our best team out, we would be OK. But through 38 games in the Premier League, you're not going to do that. So it goes back again then maybe to we should have strengthened a bit more. We should have brought a bit more quality. And we didn't do that. And, I, I mean, everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon about Roy. Roy's done brilliant. You know, people said, well... Yeah, he done well last year, but maybe we should go with a new guy. And if he'd started really well, and everybody would be the same opinion. But as soon as you get a few dodgy results, and then you've got loads of injuries, then the, the main consensus is he's too old. Ian said, he is old, and he's probably too old, but the club asked him to come back. He's a football manager, and he went, yeah, I'll have a go at that. But... You know, maybe it's time that we look elsewhere. But you could bring the best manager in the world. He's not going to improve that team with what we've got there, with the injuries that are out. The players that we've got on the park, they're going to have to fight for every result. I mean, yesterday they were brilliant, but he changed the style. You know, there was not one ball knocked out to the two centre-halves in the 18. Every ball the keeper got, he went long with it. We pushed up condensed them and try to win the, re the, the the second ball all the time, which which helped us. And I think the fans would prefer to see that than us try to outpass Liverpool in our own 18-yard box. So it's a difficult decision. Uh, I mean, unless we could get four or five players in, in the January sales, which I can't see, there'll be maybe a few loan players, it's it's difficult, and we I think we're just going to go. I don't think another manager would make any difference at the moment, unless he could bring in a load of players. 
My, well, my concern on that subject, Ian, I'm coming to you, and Tim, I'm coming straight to you. My only concern about what Jim's just said is that the longer we leave him in that position, and Ian, you're muted, the longer we leave him in that position, um, that they're not going to give Roy a large budget to spend in the January window, okay, knowing full, knowing full well that, A, they're going to replace him in June at worst, but at best, they're probably going to replace him in January. Ian? Yeah, um, look... Roy will Roy will leave in the next. I reckon with the next few weeks. That's what my my view is. Um, he he doesn't need the money. Um, one of the reasons I think he, he's he's done this job this season is he's actually a Crystal Palace supporter. Palace are his club. I don't think he would have done it anywhere else. Okay, he had that little spell at Watford, but you know he loves this club. He's passionate about this club. He's disillusioned with the modern game. Um, he made that very clear yesterday. Um, and the thing about letting Roy go, or, you know, if he decides to walk, he walks, you know, then the club are forced to make a change, but you've got to have somebody lined up that's going to make a difference. You know, you can't just assume that um, getting rid of Roy is the answer, because it's not. It's, 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 it's half, 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 the, half the equation. So who are you going to get in? Now, we've been linked with two or three names, and, you know, we've, we've talked about Steve Cooper, and um, Potter. Uh, Graham, Graham Potter and people like that. But you, you've got to have that person lined up and they've got to want to come here um, and be ready to hit the ground running because there isn't any time. To, there's no luxury here. You know, you can't can't sort of give someone time to bed in. It just doesn't work like that, does it? You know, by the time that's happened, then suddenly we're relegated. So I can see you, we, we are definitely running. We're going to definitely run over by a few minutes, gentlemen. So forgive me, okay, but I need, just need to do this. I was talking, I was listening to a, a thing about the success of that lockdown on the South Coast the other day. Uh, I'll give you a clue what, make, what makes them different to Crystal Palace. They knew that Chelsea was sniffing around yeah. Potter. They had spoken to De Zerbi, their new man, their, their manager, while Potter was still in the job. They'd actually had a note. He was coming into the country. He was actually unemployed at the time because of the Ukraine situation. They, they hadn't lined him up, but they'd spoken to him and liked what they saw before Potter even went to Chelsea. Uh, succession management, gentlemen, it's the key to business success. What have we done? What have we got ready for at the moment? What transfers have we got coming up? None. What new so managers have we Nick, got lined up? Be fair, Nick. You, you don't know that. You don't know that. You're surmising. We, we don't know that. We'll you know. work, work on the we'll work on the Patrick Vieira dismissal as your as your example. My my example category A. There you go. We had nothing lined up for weeks and weeks, and Tim's already alluded to it. You know, he was about fifth choice. Go on, Tim. You're all missing the point. We're never going to attract a top manager all the time. We've got the current owners with the investment. No one is going to want to come to a team where they can see there is no investment for a squad that's paper thin, that's ageing again, there's no budget there, who is going to want to take that job? I know people have said in the past, what do you mean? The chance to manage in the Premier League doesn't mean anything these days. We're not going to attract a top manager or somebody that... And even if we do attract somebody that can do the job, there's no budget for them to get players in to make the changes that are needed. So... It's yeah, that that's where we are as a club. Right, I'm I'm conscious of your time, boys, and I'm conscious of everybody else. I just need to run through a couple of uh, bits and pieces. 
Uh, the under-18s played on Wednesday. They played Benfica in the Premier League International Cup. Uh, they won 2-1 against Benfica at the Sutton Stadium. Their next match is against Middlesbrough uh, in the what's that? In the Premier League Cup, and that's on Monday the 11th tomorrow. Um, well worth that. Probably tuning into the Palace website for that. The under-18s they played Plymouth Argyle and ran out 2-1 winners at home park the other day. And our representative down there was Paul Bristow. Well done, Paul. Uh, they will play either AFC Wild or Hull City away in the fourth round proper in January 24. But the standout performance of the week, okay, and I'm going to labour on this for a minute, was today. The ladies, um, they were playing in, uh, again, at the Sutton Stadium in the Women's FA Cup. Uh, and they ran out 6-0 winners against Chatham Town women. Now, it's fair to say there is a gulf in the quality of those two teams. I'm aware of that. Uh, Chatham Town playing a much lower league than the Palace ladies. And the the, the difference was chalk and cheese, as you can see, and it was reflected in the uh, uh, in the 6-0 win. Girls, I, I actually had that on most of the afternoon on my phone because it was available on the Palace website, unusually. Okay, so massive congratulations from all of us. Okay, and then next match is away at Reading Women on Sunday, the 17th of December at one o'clock in the Select Car Leasing Stadium. So good luck, girls. Okay, and that'll be their last fixture before Christmas. Boys, we've packed a lot into that hour. Okay, and that was really interesting stuff. Have I missed anything out? Is there anything else we need to discuss, Ian? The uh, oh, yeah. women, wore the, women wore the new kit, didn't they, for that game, the FA Cup tie? So this is the full shirt. Um, they're only 90 quid if you want one. Um, apparently they're sold out already. I know that uh, the real panel's got his and Yasmin's got hers. Um, anyone else spent £90 on a full shirt? Um, and we're going to be wearing that kit when we play Everton at home in the FA Cup third round um, to kick off the third round on Thursday the 4th of January. What a stupid night for a football match. It's yep. live on ITV4, and uh, they expect us all to go to Sellers Park to watch it. I haven't decided yet whether I'm going. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I'll probably be there. And by the way, you mentioned Paul, the real panel. Ladies and gentlemen, I was watching the show live that Ian was hosting last Sunday, and Paul uh, Paul Keir made his debut. Um, I know that how strong he was. I know how knowledgeable he was. I know how much of a massive fan he is of not only the show, but of Crystal Palace. And I'm delighted to announce to you all that Paul has agreed to come back on. Is he with you next week, Ian? Um, I'm not on next. Well, well, he's, he's, he's going to City and he's on the Oh, City actually, no. no yeah. I'm sorry. I, I know the answer to my own question. He, Ian Lyons is hosting next next week, okay? And he's going to be joined with by Trees of Acre. Uh, and also, Paul is coming back on with Ian Lyons next week again. So, look forward to that, everybody. Jim Cannon, what can I say? Again... For the millionth time, thank you. Okay, no problem, no funny, problem, buddy. It's great having you on. Uh, one day we might actually talk to each other without an internet camera and without a, a messenger message. Message, <laughs> we actually never pick up the phone and talk to each other, but hey ho, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, Ian, and right. Tim, Ian and Tim, uh, well done, guys, as always. Ian, I hope you're feeling better soon, ladies and gentlemen out in Facebook and uh, YouTube land. Have a safe week, okay. Try and put the back-to-back -back defeats to one side. Things can only get better. The only way is up from the 17th. So have a strong week. I'll see you soon up the palace. Good night, everybody. <laughs>